Late night talk shows have been on a hiatus for months because of the writer's strike in Hollywood. I don't care. You probably didn't even notice, and if you did, I wouldn't blame you for not caring because late shows haven't been good for a while. But you shouldn't expect the writers in Hollywood to preoccupy their downtime with fruitful pursuits. You are wasting my time. Like reading classic literature or maybe figuring out how to write good shows. The people in show business are a breed of modern man that is becoming more common today. So rather than just strike, they've been busy spinning their own yarns about Jimmy Fallon and The Tonight Show and the work culture that's present there. And I bet you wouldn't guess that, yes, it's toxic. The explosive headline from the always objective Rolling Stone says, chaos, comedy, and crying rooms inside Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show. Now, at first glance, I'm prepared to believe that the elites in our culture have no morals and probably would create a truly toxic work culture. There's just one problem. The modern progressive and modern progressive society is replete with the kind of human beings that you need the grace of God to truly love. The last bit about crying rooms makes you feel like there may be more to the story than just simply a, quote, toxic work culture. But don't trust Rolling Stones to actually be honest enough to report on it. So let's just examine the claim as far as Rolling Stones sees it. In the report, it says employees allege that they were being belittled and intimidated by their bosses, including Fallon himself. Employees described being afraid of Fallon's, quote, outbursts and unexpected inconsistent behavior. Many of the staffers voiced their concern through HR complaints, but problems at The Tonight Show persisted. Seven former employees say their mental health was impacted by their alleged experiences working at The Tonight Show. Uh, about 100% of people would also claim the same. Uh, these staffers say it was commonplace to hear people joking about wanting to kill themselves. Now, joking about this and that they would refer to guest dressing rooms in the office as, quote, crying rooms, because that's where they would go to let out their emotions when they were upset with their alleged mistreatment. The former staffers who spoke to Rolling Stone requested anonymity out of fear of retaliation. They worked in a range of positions on the show, from production crew members to office staffers and in the show's writer's room. Many of the former staffers say they left the show because of their mental health. Some say they were fired from The Tonight Show. Well, that last sentence is quite revealing, I think. Okay, so here's what we have in this damning expose. Jimmy Fallon was mean at times and some of the people cried as a result of it. I mean, that's just simply it. Now, the most troubling thing in the whole article is a portion where they talk about Jimmy Fallon coming to work in what they believed was an inebriated state. Now that is truly bad and deserves attention, but mostly for Fallon because it's a clear sign that he's struggling. So color me skeptical, but I don't think these whiners actually care about Fallon at all. They only care about their feelings. The last line is particularly kind of a giveaway. Some of the people interviewed were fired from the show. So bitter much? We might be left to use just common sense alone to help us discern if what we're hearing is really legitimate. We know we cannot trust the media to tell the truth, but we don't have to rely purely on common sense on this one. A guest from the show spoke out to address an allegation that was covered in the article that they were included in. 
If what he has to say is any indication of the veracity of the rest of the article, we know we can dismiss it all. Because one of the incidents described in the article involved a public shaming and scolding of an employee by Fallon while interviewing Jerry Seinfeld. The article gives the impression that Seinfeld had to force Jimmy to apologize in front of everybody, but Seinfeld remembered the incident quite well, and this is what he had to say about it. Quote, this is so stupid. I remember this moment quite well. I teased Jimmy about a flub, and we all had fun, laughed about how rarely Jimmy is thrown off, end quote, Seinfeld said. And then, quote, it was not uncomfortable at all. Jimmy and I still occasionally recall it and laugh. Idiotic twisting of events. Now, here's the rub in all of this. If there's any modicum of goodness in you, you don't want to look at a group of people who claim to be hurting and then call them stupid, right? You don't want that to be your MO. That is unless the people in question are doing one of two things. First of all, they are lying. Or second of all, and most importantly, they are so deceived that they actually think they're being brave and courageous by breaking out into fits of rage, refusing to have civil dialogue, and screaming about their treatment at their toxic work environment, when really their perfectly normal work environment is just too much to handle because they are interminably emotionally stunted and fragile. The ironic thing is ask them about this, and they will be so deceived by the smell of their own farts that they will tell you that they are standing up for what's right and they're being brave about all of this, but not brave enough to actually do their job without being a victim, which is a problem. As I see it, the problem here is postmodernism, secularism, and progressivism, because it's taught the world that your feelings are more important than the truth. It's taken away any mechanisms of self-reflection that we truly have about our own behavior, and it causes us to point our finger. This is where a group of righteous people should step in and be honest. And if they're accused of perching atop their moral high horse, they should take it as a compliment. Because for a world that has no morals, everything is a moral high horse. So proceed undaunted by their crying and their whining and their moaning and say what you really think, that you're acting stupid. By refusing to take this action, you let the dark go unopposed and encroach upon the light. I appreciate every Christian's desire to win people through love in the form of careful tact and soft answers. Of course, I think that's the vast majority of the way we should respond to these kind of things. But there are also times when love demands that we treat people with bad motives and tell them the truth, regardless of if it sends them into fits of rage. Only when their wounds won't be affirmed by society can they finally realize that their pain is self-inflicted and their cure far from crying rooms. Maybe then they can find hope beyond blaming others and they can get right with themselves and with God. And we'll talk about that and more today on IndieThinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and to check out the shop link today in the description of this podcast. The bit.ly link there will take you to our Herbal Alchemy store, where you can get all natural health and beauty products for men and for women. And most of all, all of these products are not only cruelty-free, but woke-free. If you want to wash your hands of the targets of the world and other companies that don't stand for your values and actually promote the opposite, well, then you need to start voting with more than just your ballot, and you need to start voting with 
your wallet. And you can do that by purchasing products from the companies that care about the things that you care about and promote the kind of values that you care about. Now, by supporting Herbal Alchemy, you're also supporting the show because some of the proceeds from your purchase today will go back to IndieThinker to help us do what we do here. But also, you should know this, Herbal Alchemy is a great Christian company that part of the proceeds of their overall business income goes out to fight human trafficking. So if you want to stand against human trafficking, you want to promote the great messages that are on this show, then go to our bit.ly link down in the description of our podcast today where you can purchase some great products for you and your family. Check it out today. Last week, Ron DeSantis was confronted at a press conference by a man that claimed that he was to blame for the Jacksonville shooter who went in and killed multiple black people in a Dollar General store. Now, to hear all of the rich intellect and wisdom coming from uh, this individual in the crowd, here's the clip. Check it out. I did not allow anything with that. Well, listen. Excuse me. me I'm not going to let you accuse me of committing sir, criminal sir. activity. I am not going to take that. I am not going to take that. So you, you should, you want to have a civil conversation, that's one thing. Try to say that I'm letting, that guy was Baker acted. He should have been, he should have been ruled ineligible, but they didn't involuntarily commit him. And so they were no, no, I don't. No, no. There is the truth. There is something about the truth. It's not everyone doesn't have their own truth. No. You don't get to come here and, and, and blame me for some madman. That is not appropriate. And I'm not going to accept it. You have allowed people to hunt people like me. Oh, that is nonsense. That is such nonsense. Now, this is rich. Because I, I can only assume that this man is a critic of Ron DeSantis, and if a critic of Ron DeSantis, then probably somebody on the left. And he says in the whole thing that he's just giving his truth, which Ron DeSantis pushes back on. But isn't it interesting that uh, we're going to declare that somehow maybe the racial rhetoric of Ron DeSantis has enabled this young man to go in and shoot multiple black people and kill them in a Dollar General store. Well, to make that statement, ultimately, you can't make that statement based upon my truth and your truth. You can only make that statement based upon objective fact. Well, what objective fact? Well, the objective fact that men are created in the image of God, that they have intrinsic value, and that racism is objectively wrong in every generation, in every century. Even when it was practiced by every civilization in the known world, it was still wrong. Thank God for Christians who came along in the First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening who decried the horrors and the evils of racism and demanded that America respond to its conscience, which was fueled supposedly by Christian scripture, and make that right. Now, nonetheless, I, I just love the fact that the left wants to, to, to declare objective moral values while never giving credit to where those objective moral values come from. Nonetheless, one of the things that we can tell is, from this whole story and this interaction, too, is an interesting piece of information that you should know, that this shooter was Baker-acted, which means he was criminally, mentally insane before he went in to kill all these people. So yet again, we have another individual who is contravening existing gun laws, showing us that existing gun laws should be sufficient if that's what it would really take to stop shooters from going in and killing people. However, we might have to suggest that perhaps Ron DeSantis isn't really to blame, um, and gun laws really aren't to blame, but actually the soul of America desperately needs something bigger to, to fix it. But I would hardly suspect an individual like the one that was speaking to Ron DeSantis to come up with that. But let's just analyze the claim for just a moment. 
Likely what this individual means, although he doesn't state it directly, is that DeSantis has been accused of being racist and, of course, uh, creating hate crimes in his state because of proposed change to curriculum that supposedly said that black people benefited from slavery. Here's our wonderful and eloquent vice president who said that very thing in Jacksonville, of all places, just recently. Yesterday in the state of Florida, they decided middle school students will be taught that enslaved people benefited from slavery. Well, there she is when she's not talking about school buses and uh, what is it, Venn diagrams. She's, uh, she's talking about how curriculum that said that black people overcame slavery because of the triumphal spirit inside of the heart of mankind. Uh, somehow that, that endorses slavery. Nonetheless, uh, the reason I brought that up is just simply this, is that if there is a person to blame other than the shooter, which I'll argue in just a moment that there isn't, then it's clear that the people who should be to blame are places like the ACLU, who said that it's dangerous for black people to go to the state of Florida uh, because of these proposed changes, that, it, that people like Kamala Harris, who came to Jacksonville, of all places, to declare that uh, black people are an endangered species because of simple proposed changes to uh, critical race theory elements in, in, in college curriculum. And then also the, the media who jumped on the bandwagon to declare these stories as though they were legitimate and accurate. Ultimately, what I'm saying is, is that the chief vector of misinformation in our society today comes from the political and comes from the media. And very often those two are in bed with each other, certainly on the left side of the aisle. And if there is anybody to blame for stoking racial animosity, it would be these people, not Ron DeSantis. Uh, and Ron DeSantis was very firm on this issue when he wrote a letter back to Kamala Harris. And essentially the letter said this, that if you're not too busy, you know, checking out the border and making sure that immigration is going according to plan, which was supposed to be your, you know, your thing as the vice president, uh, then maybe you can come down and take some time to talk to me about what the actual changes to this college class were so that you don't go around spreading misinformation. Now, I'll bet you'll never guess that in that letter, Kamala Harris, uh, that Kamala Harris never responded to that letter. Not only was that epic, but it, it just shows how dishonest these people actually are. They want to come in, stoke racial animosity, and, um, and then run away as quickly as possible. So here's my suggestion at the end of the day with all of these things. In a polarized society, I know it's easy to point the finger, but especially in a secular society, it's easy to point the finger. Um, how about we point the finger at the people whom it actually deserves to be pointed at, like the people who were responsible for shooting, rather than pointing down at the gun, rather than pointing at the governor of the state who didn't pull the trigger, why don't we look at the person who did point the trigger? But this is an illustration for something much broader and goes along with what we're talking about on the show today, the problem of secularism. Ultimately, here's one of the big problems of secularism. There is no true mechanism of self-reflection or self-correction. Ultimately, when you do not believe in a God outside of yourself, you are merely left with whatever moral arbitrary standards that you can create for yourself. And that functions two ways. First of all, this man, if there is any vestige of you know, rational thought in a man who was Baker acted, then it is clear that he is not abiding by an objective set of moral values. But also, more specifically to the point here, the individual that got up to speak and to chastise Ron DeSantis is, is obviously operating 
based upon an ideology rather than based in, operating based upon an objective truth. Because there is no way that he could truly blame Ron DeSantis if he wasn't merely being political. See, this is the problem with our secular society. It is way easier to blame another person rather than to look in the mirror. These kind of racial narratives, by the way, that this man is espousing is also part of the problem. The quicker we get past looking at people based upon the color of their skin and back to what we should be about, which is the conduct of people's character, the more we can actually help our society understand that race is a folk taxonomy. In other words, fake. It doesn't exist. It's not real. Obviously, skin colors differ, but, but what does that even matter? It's such a superficial way of looking at people, and we have got to get back to the place where we are starting to, start, starting to endorse that principle. But I have no faith that we actually will get back to that when we don't have a true objective set of moral values an objective set of moral values that cause us to look in the mirror and, and start looking at ourselves and the way that we think about things rather than blaming other people for what's going on in society. Now listen, I'm all for pointing the finger when it is necessary, but it is also clear that in our society today, when we don't have objective moral values, it is so much easier to point the finger at other people rather than to look at your own idiosyncrasies and your own foibles. This is why Jesus was really clear when he said, if you want to kind of point out the sawdust in other people's eyes, it would be best that you take out the plank in your own eye. Well, here's the problem with that. We don't have a great carpenter anymore in the life of the vast majority of modern Americans, even those sometimes who go to church, who are operating on our eye to get rid of that carpentry in our eye. Um, so nonetheless, ultimately, all we can do is not see past our ideology and not see past our racial narratives and not see past our finger pointing that isn't actually grounded in any rational objective truth. I'm not even making a religious argument here. I'm merely just saying this. I'm, I'm saying that we need a transcendent set of values. And if you're going to find that, you cannot find it inside of yourself. That's where you get arbitrary moral values. That's where you get the kind of thinking that blames other people for crimes you know, skeptically speaking, just simply so that you can score political points or because you have some type of agenda that is benefited by blaming the wrong individual. So ultimately, if we're going to get closer to the truth and see the issues that blind us to our own idiosyncrasies, then it might be important to look to something higher than ourselves. Otherwise, we find that we're putting our faith in all the wrong people and all the wrong things, which I'll show you in our next story, because New Mexico just banned, essentially, the Second Amendment. Now, Governor Michelle Luan Grisham uh, on Friday announced a new public health order in which she said that everybody will be prohibited for the next 30 days from carrying firearms either open or concealed in the city of Albuquerque and throughout the county for the next 30 days. Since declaring this new restriction, uh, the governor has gone on record saying things like, we know that this is probably not constitutional and it will probably be overturned, but we have to do something. Now, this new restriction was placed on the Constitution of the United States by this governor as a result of an 11-year-old who was shot and killed in a road rage incident. Truly tragic. But to suspect yet again that 
if we just keep citizens from practicing their Second Amendment rights, that somehow this will stop people from being killed is ridiculous because we all know what actually what will actually happen here. Law-abiding abiding citizens who, for all intents and purposes, don't want to break the law ever in their lives are now being forced to make a decision. Break the law and potentially protect their family if something breaks off and they need to do that. Because the reality is, is that the people who have no regard for this restriction that was just placed upon uh, the city of Albuquerque are not law-abiding citizens. It's the people who you protect yourself from who are going to benefit from this law the most. The people who have bad motives, the people who don't care about the law, the people who will carry a gun and shoot other people without regard to the sanctity of human life. These are the people who are benefited from this law, not law-abiding people who protect their Second Amendment rights. But more importantly, blue leadership also has no regard for the Constitution whatsoever unless it benefits them. You know, the big conversation with Roe v. Wade was that uh, there is a constitutional right for people to be able to terminate the life of their baby. And there are these suspicious and spurious arguments made as to why it is a constitutional right to kill a baby. Uh, but search the Constitution, folks, and you'll quickly find that actually Quick fact check, I know I'm not uh, Snopes or uh, Media Matters, but, uh, but quick fact check. Actually, no official right to kill a baby in the Constitution. Sorry, our founding fathers actually read things like the Bible and felt like, you know, maybe not the best to kill babies. Uh, but one thing you will find, obviously, illustrated in the Constitution is something called the Second Amendment, which gives the rights to people to bear arms. And of course, let me refresh your memory just in case you don't remember. The Second Amendment says that a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right to of people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That seems pretty lock and key. Now, of course, here's the argument from people on the left or people who don't like the Second Amendment. They will often say, well, it's very clear that this is a amendment uh, intended to try to regulate militias. That's what it says at the very beginning. Well, it says at the very beginning of that, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. So in other words, ultimately, even if we take the argument at face value, we see that a civilian militia is necessary to institute a free state. The ultimate principle here is, is making sure we're ensuring freedom. That's the purpose of the Second Amendment. But ultimately, from who? From what? Of course, we know from what our founding fathers, when they wrote this Second Amendment, they were doing so on the basis of understanding that the government could go tyrannical and that the government actually is the greatest domestic terror threat often in history. Now, I'm not going to even say that that is today, but if we're going to talk about domestic terror threats, maybe Biden should take a cue from the playbook of uh, of people like Ronald Reagan, who said, actually, the government is the problem. It's not people. People can actually sort through their own lives better than the government bureaucracies of the world can. But don't hold your breath waiting for Joe Biden to declare that the government is actually the biggest domestic terror threat to individuals because he's too busy trying to fumble through words and the English language to actually come up with the stellar conclusion that white supremacy is the biggest domestic terror threat. Nonetheless, 
we see again the totalitarian tendencies of those on the left. First and foremost, the left, whenever they propose something, they always want you to do something. They always want you to pay the cost of whatever something is, but they never want to pay it themselves. Now think about the climate activist who wants you to fundamentally change your life and everybody else to change their life just so that they can feel a little bit better about themselves, but they're not actually interested in really taking the sacrifices necessary um, or thinking about the implications of what they're actually talking about in the third world. They, they want everybody else to do things but aren't necessarily willing to do it themselves because the fact of the matter is, is totally eliminating fossil fuels overnight may not be the hardest thing in the world for us in the first world, but it would be crushing to people in the third world. So they're not going to have to pay the consequences for that, but of course they don't care. Uh, so the left wants you to do stuff that ultimately you're going to have to pay the price for, and this is also true in what this New Mexican governor is doing. But, but more importantly, this sets the stage for a precedent, and I talked about this on the show last week, a very dangerous pre precedent. It sets the stage for the creation of spe special powers for the sake of an emergency so that emergencies will be created in the future for the sake of granting these people special powers. Um, you guys remember Hillary Clinton saying that crisis is a great opportunity? It is an old friend of, of mine and my husband's and was in the White House when, when Bill was there. And, and he said, you know, uh, never waste a good crisis. That's because these people crave crisis. They need crisis because they need to be needed. In the midst of crisis, they can implement whatever strategies and policies and laws they want to, to try to solve those issues without ever having to admit that they might be the problem. So where does the idea that the government will be the saving grace of a people, that they can provide the salvation that we actually need in the midst of an emergency? Well, that comes from secularism, the thing we're talking about on the show today. The smaller God gets, the bigger the government gets because we need something outside of ourselves to provide stability for us. And very often this is the way it works in a post-Christian Western society that no longer looks to God for their salvation and help in the midst of an emergency, they look to the state to help them. And so the state finds it easier and easier to take the Constitution and wad it up into the waste bin of history and to declare whatever powers they think are right for the moment. Now, let me provide just a fictitious analogy, if you will, a, a, a scenario that probably will never happen, but just to try to illustrate the point here, let's just say a global pandemic comes upon uh, the world and all of a sudden our leading rulership class and bureaucracies in America all of a sudden kind of just defenestrate our constitution and the laws and the ways in which we have, you know, operated under common sense in the past. And they install, you know, spurious and kind of far-reaching mandates that shove down ideas and laws and rules down people's throat that aren't actually based in real medical science. I mean, let's just say even some of these health officials that we're supposed to trust, you know, issue mask mandates one second, and then they say that they won't help the next, and, and then they flip-flop on the issue of masks, and then later on you realize that actually masking doesn't really help when it comes to coronavirus. Um, and ultimately that it could be like really devastating for, for children and have long-term health effects if prolonged mask wearing takes place. 
Now, again, none of this would ever happen, but all I'm saying is, is that the granting of special powers in the sake, for the sake of emergency is nothing less than a machination of our secular age. And so the only remedy for this is to show up at the Capitol in, in, in New Mexico and to show up with, with an open carry. Uh, the, uh, only mass civil disobedience is going to be the way to stop these kind of tyrants from doing what they do. Now, perhaps also, too, maybe we could take a next step in actually putting our faith in something bigger than the federal government and bigger than ourselves, and maybe that'll do something. And we'll try to take that tack in our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh, God of Pronouns. Last week on the show, I talked about Oliver Anthony, and I praised him for all of his success, and I praised him for some of the things that he has said publicly about God and about Scripture. Truly brave and really, really great. Although I did take issue with his claim that he is a political centrist, because in the midst of claiming that he is a Christian, it is my thinking that you cannot truly claim to be a, a political centrist, because centrism is nothing less than moral agnosticism, and as a Christian, you cannot be morally agnostic. So some of the comments that Oliver Anthony has made are very typical, not only for young Christians, but also for modern-day Christians as a whole, and that's why I'm showcasing it here in Bible Study with Democrats, because the kind of moral agnosticism Christians have have taken is really one of the ways in which the left has been able to not only encroach upon the territory of Christian thought and Christian theology, but also more broadly been able to take over culture in most of our major institutions simply because of the moral agnosticism of the people that should know better. Oliver Anthony was just recently on uh, Jordan Peterson's podcast and the conversation again was great, but then there were these moments where he just claims like, hey, instead of political differences, you know, we just need to learn to love one another. All of that sounds great in theory. And yes, obviously we need to love one another. And Jesus talked about love. But the reason we can't simply put aside our political differences is because some of those political differences are actually things that Jesus had something to say about. And if you're a Christian, you should have something to say about it as well. So ultimately, all I'm saying is this, is that it's a wonderful life for the leftists and for Democrats, whenever Christians declare their centrism, you know, whenever a Christian decides to be silent on the issues that matter most and not take a quote-unquote political side, ultimately a devil gets its horns. Because when evil is unopposed, regardless in whatever form the opposition may come, when evil isn't opposed, it is allowed to proliferate. So I want to take just a moment to go over some of the comments that I got from my, my thoughts on centrism and my thoughts on Oliver Anthony and how ultimately his song really isn't even a song of political centrism. It is clearly talking about people on the left. Uh, but ultimately, I wanted to respond because I feel like so much of the thinking that are present in these comments is present in modern day Christians and in the modern day church and is part of the problem for why cultural secularism has been allowed to proliferate. So the first one just simply says this, and this is from Daniel the regular person. People choosing their political sides over their actual 
actual fellow Americans is what's wrong with this country. His song was aimed at the oligarchy, which is made up of Democrats and Republicans. Now, obviously, there's more to the comment. You can check it out if you really want to. But ultimately, um, uh, th there's enough there just to deal with. So I just wanted to take a moment to, to look at those comments. So listen, I love the kind of sentimental and very, um, very sweethearted approach. Of course, there is much more profanity-laden comments and, and the rest of what he said. But I love this kind of pseudo-moralism here and the false unity that's, that's a spouse in this comment that is often espoused by people who want to declare themselves um, political centrist or maybe even sometimes libertarians. But, uh, but I, won't, I won't blame the libertarian because they don't often make those kind of silly statements. But the kind of false unity here is not anything that I am interested in as a Christian at all or as a thinking person. Because what we need more than anything and what we actually need is not just agreement on uh, national identity. So just the fact that you're an American doesn't mean that I should agree with you or just that I should necessarily not be polarized in the way that we look at a particular issue. Abortion is a great, is a great um, example. Uh, if I, I, I can love you, but vehemently disagree with you that killing a baby is actually pretty wrong. And there's no way that we're going to stand on the same side of the aisle until you come to terms with that very flawed and very deadly belief. So, so I'm not interested in just standing on the same side with my fellow Americans. I'm interested in standing up for what is right. As a wise man once said, clarity before agreement. So I want to know what you think. I don't want to get in a debate with you. I don't want to argue with you necessarily. But I want you to fully suss out your position so that I know the areas where we can agree and I know the areas where we can disagree. Political centrism merely just kind of pushes those issues to the side and doesn't address them at all. And I do have to say one more thing about this. I am sorry, but the United States is not an oligarchy. I know you guys got encyclopedia when you do like Google searches, but, but please, may, maybe just use it uh, and you, you'll realize that we're not an oligarchy. An oligarchy is, that, um, is basically the idea that America is just ruled by this unitary ruling class and that the ruling class are the ones who only matter in a society. Um, I'm sorry, I understand that there is usurpation by the federal government, but we are not an oligarchy. We're we're not that far. But now listen, the left wants us to be an oligarchy. They, they want to have a one-party system. And listen, I, I have my issues with a two-party system too, but you know what's worse than a two-party system? A one-party system. The left wants us to become an oligarchy. So if you truly want to stand against oligarchy, then you should probably pick a side that doesn't believe in it rather than standing in the middle. So ultimately, it's just not a oligarchy. Uh, that's a a misnomer. It's an inappropriately used term. Um, and to, to remedy that, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want centrism in the first place. All right, let's move on to the next comment. So a lot of what he stated was right. It is a control thing, whether it is from a divide and conquer standpoint or from a standpoint that states that they get away with too much stuff because they have popularity. Doesn't really matter. Politics is about influence and control and money helps them out with that. No matter what ideology you have or the political party you support, it is a control thing. So everything's about control. Everything's about control. Well, okay. Maybe it's about control in, again, the instance of abortion or maybe in the instance of uh, gender mutilating care. Uh, yeah, I want to control people who want to hurt their children. So yeah, I want laws to stop people from hurting children. So in that way, yes, it is about control, but not all control is equal. 
Some control is evil, some control is good. The police department actually exists to control people, you know, in jail cells and that kind of thing. Uh, so control actually is a good thing. But by the way, if you're worried about the federal government and how much control it exerts upon working class people, uh, then I just want to tell you that uh, it wasn't that way from our founding. So if you actually want to take a position on issues that will help, you know, push control away, since that's what our founding fathers were actually trying to do when they were rebelling against the government of the British, they were trying to uh, not let a government entity control them too much, well then you may want to get back to the founding of the Constitution and our founding fathers and what they really believed about this great nation, which by the way, would make you a modern day conservative. What are conservatives conserving? Well, uh, more broadly, and in my case, I'm conserving objective truth, the wisdom of the past, which can be found in Christian scripture. And that's why I believe in conserving that for a modern day society. But if you really truly want to create a system that keeps control at bay and keeps the federal government at bay, well, having a more conservative perspective would do that, not a centrist perspective. And then finally, I wanna take you to one last comment. And this one I think is the most important. Um, and this one actually hits to at home to the, to, to the real idea of centrism. So uh, this is from Brendan the Navigator. Uh, center is often a stand-in for independent. That is, I am a child of God, not of Babylon or Rome. Political affiliation with this one paradigm is far down on the relevance list in terms of identity. Why past man, human, Greek, Hebrew, in that way, I don't really know what that means, overly identifying with a worldly antichrist, as both parties tend here in the United States, affiliation is antithetical to Christ-centered reason. Okay, first and foremost, like I hear this from Christians a whole lot. We just declare something Babylon because we don't like it. Uh, do you know who was responsible for Babylon? It wasn't Babylon, it was God. God sent the children of Israel to Babylon to teach them some very important lessons. But more importantly, uh, and more practically, I suppose, uh, maybe not more importantly, but more practically, um, do we do this at all in society except when it just benefits the point we're trying to make? We just call things Babylon. I mean, do you call the U.S. interstate system Babylon? Do you call McDonald's Babylon when you're craving a Big Mac? No, of course you don't. You're, you're just simply using Babylon as a term to talk about things that you don't like. But the reality is, is that our political system isn't necessarily Babylon. And the center is not a stand-in for independent. The center is a stand-in for not taking uh, real positions on the issues that matter most. What this is here that this guy is expressing is nothing less than the kind of no-labels mentality that I hear so very often in society today. Oh, well, I just don't like labels. Don't call me anything. Just call me an individual. I don't, I don't like labels. Listen, friend, when as a Christian, let's just say you don't pick a side. Let's just say you're not conservative. You're not Republican. You're not uh, libertarian. You're not Democrat. But you don't want to pick a political side. But as a Christian, you realize that you cannot be morally agnostic. You do need to pick a side when it comes to morality. Maybe not politically, but mor morality, you need to pick a side. 
When you start to enumerate and list out the things that you as a Christian, as far as policies are concerned, need to believe in, that you have to believe in, when we talk about gay marriage, when we talk about um, protecting the unborn, when we talk about uh, the mutilation of minors and gender clinics all over the United States, when we start to enumerate those things and you actually give yourself a Christian perspective, a real biblical one on those things, you'll oddly find something. You'll slowly but surely find yourself creeping further and further and further to the conservative movement. So you may not like to call yourself a conservative, but if all of your beliefs, and, or for the most part, line up with conservatism, I have news for you, guess what you are? You're a conservative. So whether you like labels or not, it doesn't matter. What we're talking about are the issues that truly matter. And if you're gonna be a Christian, you cannot be independent. Now I get it. When we talk about our political parties today, how many of them actually truly are conservative and really actually upholding the wisdom of the past? Few and far between. But it doesn't mean that we just escape from society and say, oh, that's all Babylon, we don't need that stuff. No, it means that we actually stand up for those principles and stand up for those things that should be conservative. Ultimately, I'm making the, the argument that Christians will be conservative if they have a biblical worldview, and they will not if they don't. And if you truly have a Christian worldview, then your voice needs to be heard on issues that are quote-unquote political. You have a voice that is so important to society, and when Christians are silent, the society becomes secular. And I don't know about you, but the more secular our society becomes, the more crazy it becomes. And I can't help but think that a remedy for some of that might just be the things that we know and believe in Scripture. And if so, then we do not benefit anybody by claiming centrism, and we will do ourselves a great service and the rest of the world for actually standing up for what we believe in, regardless of how you want to label it. So don't stand in the middle, because we know what happens, as Mr. Miyagi said, that you either karate do or karate don't, karate maybe, squish like grape. And I want better for you and our society. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.